Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to take your copies of the scripture with me this morning and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. I'm reminded as we come to God's word this morning of the last judge of Israel whose name was Samuel. When he was just a young child serving in the temple he heard the word of the Lord come to him. And at first, he didn't know what it was that he was experiencing. (laughs) And so he got up and he would go to the other priest, Eli, and he thought Eli was calling him. And Eli finally figured out Samuel was hearing the word of the Lord. And Eli instructed him on something to say. And so the next time that Samuel heard the word of the Lord. And and listen to what it says. 1 Samuel 3.10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. I wonder if that would be your heart this morning. That as the word of the Lord comes to you, calls out to you, specifically with your name, that you would say those words. Speak, for your servant hears. Do you have ears to hear this morning what the word of the Lord would say to you? And would you receive them? Would you let them take root in your hearts and in your lives and in your mind? And so then we would be rooted in this faith, this truth that we receive from God's Word. With those thoughts in mind, would you stand with me as we go to Exodus 18 this morning? Exodus 18 there. Would you stand as I read God's Word? We stand out of reverence and respect for God's Word. And when I finish verse 18, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And together we will say, thanks be to God, because we are thankful for his holy, precious, treasured word. Hear the word of the Lord. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, 
after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. When he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, moreover look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
dear Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name. And satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we reach a turning point in the book of Exodus, how easy would it be for us to forget all that has already happened before we get to Exodus 18? When all that has already happened is meant to instruct us on how we read the rest of the book. When we get to Mount Sinai in the next chapter, it would be easy for us to break that off from everything else that has already happened in the book. But all that has already happened has happened for a reason and for a purpose, and it's meant to instruct us in how we are to read the rest of the book. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible teaches us how to read the Bible. You want to know how to read the Bible? Read the Bible. God teaches us through his word, how to read his word. And our text today, chapter 18, is a reminder that all, that all that we have already read is meant to help us read this text. How so? One example is our very first introduction to Jethro and his daughters. And we are introduced to Jethro and his family all the way back in Exodus chapter and what we learn from our first introduction with Jethro and with his daughters is meant to inform us now on how we read Exodus 18 again with Jethro and one of his daughters, Zipporah. If you think back for a moment, or if you want to even turn back for a moment to chapter 2, verses 16 through 20, we remember Jethro there, this priest of Midian, he has seven daughters. They were charged with watering Jethro's flock. So we know that Jethro had flocks, many flocks most likely, and his daughters were supposed to water the flocks. But the shepherds came, and they were driving away Pharaoh's daughters so that they could not water the flock. They were keeping them from watering the flock. And what happens? Moses comes to save the day, doesn't he? Moses comes he drives away the shepherds, and then he waters the flock. It's interesting there, when all of this transpires, Jethro's daughters, they rush back to their father, and they say something very interesting. They say this, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Do you hear that? An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. Interesting, now, when we come to Exodus 18, it sounds very similar to something that Jethro says. There, if you look in verse 10, he makes this confession. Blessed be the Lord who what? 
who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Remember what Pharaoh's daughter said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. And now Jethro says, the Lord delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Notice how things have changed. It wasn't Moses, who the daughters thought was an Egyptian, who delivered or saved. It was the Lord now who delivered and saved. And who did he save them and deliver them from? From the Egyptians. Also notice how that event in chapter 2 revolves around a shepherding event. The event in in chapter 2 where the shepherds were the ones who Moses saves Jethro's daughters from. And now we go on then in in chapter 3 to see that Moses becomes a shepherd, doesn't he? He's caring for Jethro's flock. When we get to chapter 18, we have another shepherding event, don't we? Moses is shepherding the people of Israel. But there is, as there was a shepherding problem in chapter 2, there becomes another shepherding problem in chapter 18, doesn't there? And what is this shepherding problem now that Moses and the people run into? They are about to wear themselves out. They are about to exhaust themselves. And if they do this, they will not be able to endure. It's a problem. It's a problem that we know in our lives. We can wear ourselves out. We can exhaust ourselves. This is a a crucial point in the book of Exodus because we come to this question, will the people be able to endure? Will they be able to go on? Will they make it all the way to the promised land? They have to remember everything that has already happened to them all that the Lord has already done for them and saving them, but they also need to continue to depend upon the Lord every step of the way. Exodus 18 serves as a transitional chapter in the book of Exodus, a bridge between the first half of the book and the second half of the book. The first half of the book, all about the deliverance of the Lord, how he brought them out of Egypt, the people out of Egypt, how how he split the Red Sea and caused them to walk through on dry land, how they began their journey in the wilderness. And so while the first part of the book is talking about being delivered by God from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians, now we're transitioning into this next part of the book that centers around being devoted to God. Delivered by God, now devoted to God to God, they were there at Mount Sinai. They were about to be in the very presence of God. They were about to receive the law from God and learn how to live for Him as people that were to be in covenant with Him, that they had this relationship, this binding relationship with one another, God and His people, His love and grace and mercy with his people as they were called to live holy lives before a holy God. We see this 
same structure in our chapter, don't we? Between being delivered by God and devoted to God. And so the first 12 verses has this refrain of being delivered by God. It acts as this epilogue or this summary, this wrap-up of everything that we've read about in the first 17 chapters of Exodus. And then verses 13 through the end of the chapter, of chapter 18, serves as a prologue for everything that's about to come. It's introducing us to the law and the necessity of the law, the giving of the law. And all of this instruction, all of this truth and teaching comes to us from someone who is most unexpected, a Midian priest named Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It's through him that he teaches us how to read this chapter and in truth, read the whole Bible. If we get this wrong, if we don't read this in the proper framework, we will get much of life wrong. So not only is it important how we read this chapter, but how we read it is important because it will instruct us on how to live our lives. If we get this backwards, we get life backwards. We get the gospel wrong. Notice what it is then. It is first God's saving work. It is first God delivering his people. It's first a proclamation of the grace of God who saves sinners through faith. And then it's God's gracious giving of the law. If we get the order wrong, if we get the emphasis wrong, if we get the focus wrong, it can have devastating and even destructive consequences in our life. What is the order? First, it's salvation. First, it's gospel. And then what is it that flows out of this? It's law. It's living. It's sanctification. What is the emphasis? The emphasis is grace. It is salvation by God's grace, and it is God's grace in giving the law for the people. So that we are completely dependent upon His grace. What is the focus? The focus of the gospel and the focus of the law is the same. Christ is the focus of the gospel and Christ is the focus of the law. This right here is the key to endurance. If the order is wrong, law and then salvation, law and then gospel, we've got it all backwards. If the emphasis is wrong, that it is somehow dependent upon our works or our own ability to save ourselves, what we can do to clean ourselves up before God, then we've gotten it all wrong. Let us clear, be clear when we think about salvation. It is not Jesus plus something else that saves us. It is not Jesus plus law. It is not 
Jesus plus our own goodness or righteousness. It's not Jesus plus our own works. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves us. It is Jesus plus nothing. And so we are dependent completely upon him and upon God's grace for our salvation and for our sanctification. That is, and for our maturity, our becoming more like Christ. And maybe we would be, do well to remember Galatians 3.3, 3, when Paul writes this to the Galatians. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? God has done a miraculous work in your heart to regenerate you to give you a new heart, to resurrect you from the dead. You've begun by the Spirit of God doing this work in regenerating you and making you new. Do you think now it's going to be your own works, your own effort, you're going to depend upon yourselves, it's going to be perfected by the flesh? From beginning to end, our lives are to be completely and entirely and utterly dependent upon God's undeserved favor, His amazing grace. And most tragic would be if we get the focus wrong. Remember, the focus is Christ. If the focus of salvation is not Christ, then there is no salvation. And if the focus of the law is not Christ, then there is no hope. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Last week we learned that we will endure as we respond to what the Lord has done. Just as Jethro responded to what the Lord has done, so we must respond to what the Lord has done. Now that's crucial in our lives. We cannot get past that. And it shows that we really then begin to understand what it is the, what the Lord has done for us. Because if we look at all that Christ has done for us in coming to earth, living this perfect life, dying on the cross in our place, rising again from the dead, ascending into heaven where now he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. When we think about all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, it should cause us to respond. If we don't respond, something's wrong. And how Beautiful it is that Jethro, this Gentile, the Lord opened his eyes so he could see what the Lord had done and he responded, he rejoiced. And there he was, gathered around with all of the other Israelites, the elders of the, the people, Aaron, and what happens? And they ate a meal, they ate bread together in the presence of God. Before God, there they were, having this meal together, Jew and Gentile. 
thanking the Lord for what he had done. Now we come to point number two. So in your bulletin there, if it's helpful to follow along, point number two for this week. Last week was point one, this week's point two. Last week looking at how we will endure, this week being, reminding, being reminded of how we will not endure. We will not endure if we rely on what we think we can do alone. We will not endure if we rely on what we think we can do alone. And I want us to go back and remember Moses' sons. Two sons, right? Gershom and Eliezer. And remember, the book of Exodus in Hebrew, it's called the book of names. So names in the book of Exodus are very important. And so here are these two sons. And we're told what their names mean, right? Gershom means a sojourner in a foreign land. Reminding us that we are not home yet. Reminding Moses that he is not home yet. Reminding Moses that he's looking for a home, a place, a promised land. And so reminding us that we're almost home, but we're not home yet. <laughs> and would we be, do well to remember that? Dear brother and sister, we're not here to make a home for ourselves. There should be a proper yearning and longing for another home. But we remember in that, that as we sojourn through this life, there's a need for justice and there's a need for law and there's a need for judgment because things are wrong. I mean, that's why Moses is having to sit and judge between the people because they're having problems, they're having disputes, they're having issues. But one day, one day, when we get home, there will be no more disputes. There will be no more reason for, to decide between one person and another person because Jesus, right, Jesus Christ will have righted every wrong. And so we also remember the name of Moses' other son, Eliezer, which means the God of my father has been my help. And it appears right here as we look now at the second half of this text, verses 13 through 27, it seems like perhaps Moses has lost sight of his second son's name. Specifically, we see that Moses needs God's help. The Lord had been his help time and time again so far in bringing them out of Egypt in the initial stages of their journey through the wilderness. Will God not help Moses again? Yes, he will. The Lord has been providing time and time and time again. Would he not provide again in the midst of this burden that Moses felt as he sat there judging between the people? Would Moses believe that the Lord would help? Would Moses trust that the Lord would help? And would Moses rely on the Lord or 
would he rely upon himself. Yes, it was the Lord's help that delivered the people. It was the Lord's help that got them through the hardships on the way through the wilderness. But did Moses really need God's help shepherding the people? Do we ever limit the Lord's help? Where is it in your life, perhaps, where you would think the Lord's help stops here? Is there some place where you would believe in your life that, well, the Lord's not going to help me here? Somewhere where he is not strong enough, somewhere where he's not sovereign enough, somewhere where he doesn't know exactly what you need and when you need it, and so going to provide you the grace to help you in your time of need. Listen clearly, dear brothers and sisters, the Lord is to be our help in every circumstance and in every area of life. In ways that we can't even comprehend or even imagine that He would help, He can help us. And so do you believe and do you trust that He will help you, whatever it is that you're going through, wherever it is that you need Him, Whatever it is you might think is impossible, that you would say, there is no way that the Lord is going to help me through this, that it would be at that point, at that place, where the Lord, in His grace and in His mercy and His love, and say, would come to you and say, yes, I will help you here. We need a helper. We need a helper because it's an absolute falsehood that the Lord helps those who help themselves. I cannot help myself. I am unable to help myself. I need the Lord to help me. That we would sing with the psalmist, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from who? The Lord. Comes from Yahweh. Comes from God. And then what does it say after that? The maker of heaven and earth. The one who created all things. The one who called forth out of nothing everything into existence. If he is powerful enough to do that, he is powerful enough to help you in whatever you need. You don't have just anybody helping you. You have the God of the universe, the God who created all things, helping you. Can he help you? You better believe he can help you. When we come to Exodus 18, we cannot read it without remembering also what happened just prior in chapter 17. So again, chapter 17 is going to help us read chapter 18. And now as we come to the second half of chapter 18, we see some similarities with chapter 17. Remember, the end of chapter 17, Israel was attacked by these Amalekites. In fact, in Deuteronomy, we learned that they were so cowardly, they attacked 
the very end of the Israelite as they marched through the wilderness, the weak, the helpless. But we have some points of, of similarity here between the end of chapter 17 and now chapter 18. Chapter 17, 9, it says, Moses says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill. And so now in chapter 18, verse 13, it says, the next day, when is that? Tomorrow. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And we notice the same thing happened, right? Tomorrow, this is going to happen. The next day, what happens on that day? The next day, tomorrow, the same thing happens, right? Some form of judgment. And so, in the end of Exodus 17, it was judgment that fell upon the enemies of God. Judgment that brought destruction and death and defeat upon them. One was the judgment coming from the Lord through Moses, his chosen servant. A judgment that was meant, though, for their good now in chapter 18. A, a judgment that was to bring peace to all the people. Moses is sitting judging between the people. So, judgment in each case, different forms of judgment, though, coming. Also, notice what it says there in 17.12. says that, Moses was on this hill, the army, uh, the, the battle going on below them, and Moses was brought a stone to sit upon as God's judgment was being dispensed upon his enemies. And so now here again we see in chapter 8, verse 13, Moses sitting on a seat of judgment, dispensing judgment between people as they inquire of God. So each one, Moses is sitting and judgment is being dispensed. Also notice in chapter 17, Joshua is commanded to select men who will go out and who will fight in the battle. And now here in chapter 18, you have another selection of men. Men who are going to help carry out this ministry of judging between the people. Able men who will make judgments on small matters that are brought to them. Notice also that the battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites lasted all day. And now, what does Moses do? He sits on the judgment seat all day, from morning until evening. With such similarities, we see quite a different outcome. One where God's judgment is coming down upon the enemies of God, but now where this judgment is needed even amongst the people of God for their benefit, for their good, for their help, for their lives so that they are told the truth. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, this Gentile man, this priest of Midian, he comes and he looks at the situation that's going on and he sees more clearly what's happening than Moses or than the Israelites. And so he provides wisdom in that moment. And he asks a question first, doesn't he? He says this, what are you doing? <laughs> and you can hear in his voice the problem that is already there. The very next question he asks is he says, why do you sit alone? We get an inkling into what is about to transpire. 
his line of questioning is meant to begin to open Moses' eyes to the problem. It's meant to make Moses stop and think for a moment about, what am I doing? He is to evaluate his actions, not merely assume that what he is doing is the best thing. Jethro first plants a seed of doubt, and then he comes and he confronts Moses outright and says to him this, what you are doing is not good. He is judging all the people. He's doing it all day long. The picture here of Moses sitting, judging the people while they're standing around, waiting for him to be able to hear their case. And it comes in waves after wave after wave, next case after next case after next case. The cases keep coming. They keep coming to Moses to inquire of God. And we will look at that and we would say, isn't this a good thing? Moses, making known the statutes of God and the, and the laws of God, isn't that a good thing? Yes, Moses was doing a good thing, but he was doing it the wrong way. And even though the content is good, the way that he is doing it makes it not good. And in such a scenario, we might be tempted to say, wow, Moses, you are so committed. You are so faithful. Look at all that you are doing. It's so impressive. You're so diligent. But Jethro explains what makes it not good. He says, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. Moses, you are going to burn yourself out. And at the same time, all of the people are going to get burnt out as well. If you keep doing this, the community won't flourish. It will be exhausted. And look at how Jethro describes it. For the thing is what? It's too heavy for you. It's a burden. It's a weight. Right here we have another point of connection with chapter 17, don't we? Do you remember what happened in chapter 17? Moses there holding up the staff of God and what happened? His arms became too heavy and he couldn't hold his arms up to hold up the staff of God and so these other men need to come and hold up his arms and now here it is Jethro saying this very same thing it's too heavy for you this action of sitting and judging the people all day long from morning till evening was a task that was too heavy for Moses to carry and so Moses or so Jethro tells Moses point, point blank you are not able to do it alone This is why it was not good. This is why it was too heavy for him. You cannot do it alone. Moses, what a lesson you have to learn. And if, it's, if we're honest, it's a lesson we all need to learn, isn't it? With our temptations towards stubbornness, with deceit sometimes, where we deceive even our own hearts to tell ourselves that we are stronger than we really are. Or that we tell ourselves that we can do more than we can really do. Or that we begin to have an inflated view of our own self-importance. 
that we might think to ourselves, what would you do without me? And while we are not usually stupid enough to say that out loud, sometimes we live like it. Do you need to hear those words today? You are not able to do it alone. Life is too heavy for you to carry on. Ministry is too heavy for you to be able to do it alone. Whatever independence you think you will sustain or independence that will get you by, in the end, it will fail you. This is often a completely different message than the world tells us. How often do we hear, you can do this. You can do anything you want. You got this. You are able. And we then begin to fear our inability to do anything because we think that if we can't do it, it means that we are weak. If we have to own up to our own inability, if we have to embrace that we are not able, it means that wall of strength, oftentimes the source of our security, all that we depend upon and rely upon, all of that wall will come tumbling down in a pile of rubble only to highlight our shame and weakness. How different it would be if our pride didn't get in our way. Isn't that why we don't ask for help oftentimes? We're prideful. Why we think we can do it alone? Because we're prideful. Moses, we read in God's word, is the most humble man who ever lived. But he learned humility. He learned what it was to be humble. And here we see Moses learn. And so let us learn to humble ourselves. Think about for a moment all that the Lord has brought Moses through. Moses, do you think it was because of your own strength that you weren't drowned in the Nile River when you were a baby? Moses, do you think that it was because of your eloquence and ability that the Lord called you into a service at Mount Horeb? Moses, do you think it was because of your persuasive powers that you were able to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go? Moses, do you think that it was anything that you did that caused the Israelites to take one step out of the land of Egypt? Moses, do you think it was because of your power that the Red Sea split in two? Moses, was it your power that turned the bitter water into sweet water, brought forth quail and manna, made water flow out of the rock? What has the Lord been showing Moses and the people of Israel over and over and over again? You are not able to do it alone. How have you been able to do anything up to this point? Hasn't it only been by God's grace? And why would we 
think it would be anything different in our lives. How is it that you have made it this far, dear brother and sister, dear Christian, how is it that you have made it this far in life? How is it that you have come to this place? Is it not by God's grace? You are saved by grace. You've grown in Christ by grace. God has done it all so that you would not be able to boast in yourself. But he has done it all so that the one who boasts would what? Boast in the Lord. Dear brother and sister, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. God never intended for it to be just you and Jesus. He meant for you to be a member of the body of Christ. He intends for you to be part of his embassy outpost in this world, which is the church. He intends for you to know, enjoy, and share in the fellowship of the church. This is why God's word commands us to encourage one another, to welcome one another, to be hospitable to one another, to honor one another, to live peaceably with one another, to instruct one another, to care for one another, to bear with one another, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, to sing to one another, to submit to one another, to admonish one another, to do good to one another, to confess your sins to one another, to serve one another, to act in humility toward one another, to fellowship with one another. And how might we sum all of that up? Is it not to say, to love one another? That whole list, I didn't make that up. All of those one another's come from God's word. But it means that we have to lay down our pride. It means that we have to recognize that alone we are weak. It means that we all have to collectively rely on the Lord together. It means more and more and more our boasting needs to be in the Lord and less and less and less in ourselves. And it's why, as we go to the New Testament, every Christian, every member of the church is to be engaged and involved in the work of the ministry. Our responsibility as leaders is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's not for us to do all the work of the ministry. It's for us to help you do the work of the ministry so that together, all together, all the parts of the church, all the members of the church are working in such a way that the whole body is built and strengthened in love. Jethro commands Moses to obey his voice. He says, I'm going to give you advice, Moses. Listen to my voice. Obey my voice. And here's the kicker. And God be with you. That was like the assurance. Moses, I'm going to give you some advice. And you'll know that this advice is to be obeyed because God's going to be with you. If God's not with you in this advice, don't do it. But if God is with you, obey my voice. 
And that's how Moses would know that Jethro's advice had the stamp of God's approval. Think about it conversely. If God is not with you in this, then do not accept my advice or obey my instruction. Isn't this what good advice and good instruction always does? (laughs) It gives people God. It points people to Christ. It points people to the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Jethro then reiterates what Moses should be doing. Some of these things Moses has been doing. He should represent the people before God. He should bring their cases before God. He should be warning the people about God's statutes and law so that they would not transgress against God. He was to make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. I love those two little words. This wasn't nice suggestions that Moses was giving the people. This is what you must do. This is how you must live. And isn't that what happens when we receive God's word? God's word tells us what we must do, how we must live. And then he was to choose men, to choose men who were to help him carry this load. These were not just any men. These were men who are called able men. It wasn't just, well, here's some guys that have a heartbeat and a pulse. Let's just fill them in. They weren't just trying to fill positions. These men had to meet certain criteria. Just like elders and deacons have to meet certain criteria today, these men had specific criteria. What were these? First, they were to be men who feared God. In dealing with disputes between people, they were required to fear the Lord more than they feared man. That means in their judgments, They had to judge in such a way that it would honor the Lord and follow His word even if the people didn't like it. They were to reverence the Lord in their decisions and uphold Him as holy before the people. They were also to be trustworthy men. Literally, this says they were to be men of truth. Not only were they to accurately portray God before the people, but they were also to uphold the truth. Their lives were built on the truth, so they were men dedicated to the truth. That's how you know who's trustworthy. People who are dedicated to the truth. Let's go back to God's word. What does God's word tell us? What does God's law tell us? How are we to live accordingly to what God says? Let's go back to the truth. Let's go back to the book. The last requirement was that they were to hate a bribe. You could not sway their judgment. There was no under-the-table dealings. You couldn't say, hey, I'll do this for you if you just judge the way I want. Give me what I want. You couldn't buy your way out. These these men were in no way greedy 
so as to use their position for monetary gain. With these qualifications, they would, just, they, would, they would judge justly, fairly, and according to God's standards of holiness, not by their own judgment, not by their own opinion. And they were put over various numbers of groups and people, weren't they? Chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. It's almost like these judgments had to work their way up the ladder. If it was small matter, just be handled, kind of went up the ladder until if this was a great matter, then Moses would be there to step in and intercede on that, their behalf. But as this work, what happened? It says this, look at verse 22. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So what? So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you literally it is they will lighten the load remember it was so heavy before now it's all you've been lightened your load has been lightened you're taken care of they are helping you and so god is helping you and then look at what it says if you do this god will direct you you will be able to endure so here it is again we come back to this you will not endure if you try to do it all by yourself on your own alone but if you do it god's way if you follow him if you listen to him if you rely upon him for help and then you work together as god wants you to work together as his people you will be able to endure you will be able to go on you will have the strength. And all these people will go to their place in peace. That word peace is shalom. And it's hard for that one word to describe what that word shalom means. Yes, it means peace, but it also means rest. It means flourishing. It means blessedness. It means everything that we desire to be in its right place is finally in its right place. What is happening when all of this is going according to God's plan, they will be, and they will come to this place of peace, of shalom, of rest and flourishing, of blessedness. And it makes me think of what Jesus says in Matthew 11. If you would turn there with me just for a moment as we end. We need to hear this word. You cannot do it alone. And we need to hear now this invitation from Jesus Christ to not do it alone. As you think about even your own life, as Moses was experiencing this heaviness, would you say that this morning? I'm feeling a burden upon my life. I'm feeling a heaviness upon my life. I'm feeling as if I'm carrying a weight that I cannot carry anymore. I'm being weighed down. I'm exhausted. Listen to the words of Jesus. Take them in. 11.28 of Matthew. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dear brother and sister, what are you trying to carry on your own? What are you trying to do apart from Christ? Where is it that you feel that you're in that pressure cooker of life and you're about ready to pop and explode? Why not come again to Jesus? Why not receive the rest that he alone can give? And maybe you're here today and you feel heavy and burdened because of your own sin. Because there's ways in your life that you know you've not lived according to God's word, according to his standard. And you've never had this weight. You've never had this burden of sin taken off of your back. It's weighing you down. You feel the effects of shame and guilt in your own life. There's a way for Christ to give you rest through salvation today. Because Jesus Christ came to bear our sins, our wrongdoings, in his own body on that tree. He is the one through his sacrifice on the cross that can bring forgiveness into your life. Who can make you whole. Who can cause the burden on your back to fall off. He's the one who can raise you up from the dead, bring you to life. And it's right here. Come to Him. Come to Him in faith. Come to Him confessing your sin, forsaking your sin. Come to Him turning from the old way of life and turning to Him. Come to Him confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is the King. Come to Him confessing that you want to live for Him. Come to Him confessing that you love Him. Come to Him confessing that not only did He die on the cross in your place, but also He rose again from the dead. We are here today because Jesus Christ is alive. We are here because the greatest burden of death that's upon our backs has been removed. Come to Him in full confidence, trusting that if you place your faith in Him, He will save you. He does not disappoint. He is always faithful. His yoke is always easy and His burden is always light. And then you will know what He says here. He says, I am gentle and and lowly in heart.
we need a gentle and lowly Savior. And that's exactly the Savior that our God has given us. That faintly burning wick of that candle, he will not extinguish. We can endure. We will endure with our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And may we say with our brother Samuel, speak. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. And may your word today take root in our hearts and lives. And may we know the Savior who is God with us, who is the one who removes our burden of sin and death from our backs, and the one who gives us new life. And may we thank you today. Thank you. Thank you that we cannot do it alone. And so, Father, I pray that we would grow in greater dependence upon you and greater dependence upon one another. Not only do we need you, we need your body. We need your people. We need the church. And may we then continue to the end so that we may endure. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.